right, thanks for coming back, everybody, to the second service of Shore Foundation Baptist Hawaii. Most of us go to both services anyway, so it's just nice to be here and uh, hear the Word of God read every time and hear the Word of God preached. Let's get right into this. Um, Brother Ryan, when he first got here to Hawaii, he went through a uh, series sermon or sermon series on the fundamentals of what Shore Foundation Baptist Church stands on. Fundamentals of like the King James Bible, soul winning, salvation by faith alone, and things that should be very important to us. And if ever, you know, in your life you find yourselves moving on, going and trying to find a new church, I do strongly believe you need to look for some of those fundamental things in going and finding a new church. Uh, a church that would stand on the Word of God is, is most important. A church that stands on salvation by faith alone. And a church that stands on preaching the gospel and evangelizing, soul winning, is very important for us as Christians to know. But outside of those, there are things that are not as important as those fundamentals. As fundamentalist Baptists, we do believe in the fundamentals of the faith. But we also have secondary and thirdary doctrines that aren't necessarily as important, but it's not that they're not important. And the title of this message is simply The Second Coming of Jesus Christ. The Second Coming of Jesus Christ, I believe, is a very important doctrine. This is a teaching that the Bible, you'll notice as you literally grab this Bible and crack it open anywhere, you'll probably find somewhere in there the prophecy of the Second Coming of Jesus Christ. It's obviously mentioned throughout the whole Bible, but nevertheless, this is a doctrine that we as Christians do not need to be overly dogmatic about. Though the Bible is, and I'm going to explain more about it when I go through the, the message. But we don't disfellowship over people on the teaching of the second coming of Christ. There is some lines that you do want to realize that are important, that are line breakers. But we're going to show you what the Bible clearly teaches about the second coming. And then at that point, you at least know when Jesus Christ around the time will come. Because no man does know the day or the hour. But there are clear things that the Bible does lay out on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And with that being said, notice where I had you start the Bible reading was in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now like I said before I go into this, I am not saying this is not important. I'm saying the Bible emphasizes this, so we as well should emphasize this point. But this is a secondary doctrine. Notice what it says. It says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. So I'm going to pause there really quickly. What times? What seasons are they talking about? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us of these times and seasons that we're to look out for. So go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 11, it says, And that ye study to be quiet, and do your, own, uh, do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we command you, that ye walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye have, may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. I'm going to pause here really quick. Notice it says, We don't need to be ignorant of them which are asleep. This is not referring to someone physically sleeping, but actually a brother or sister in the Lord who is dead physically. Their body is in the earth. It's looking like it's asleep. This is just what's known as a sleep in the Lord. If you are saved and you are born again, you have eternal life. And Jesus Christ told the Pharisees, Abraham is not dead. He is alive. And he was joyful to see the day of the Lord. When Jesus Christ was on this earth, he saw Jesus Christ come into the world because Abraham was alive. We will never die in the sense of see the second death. We are saved and our sins are past as much as the east is from the west. So when it says these people are asleep, they're not even physically sleeping. They are physically dead on the earth. Their spirit is alive in heaven. And he wants us to know a little bit more about this because he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I don't want you to not know this subject. So then what does he go to say to the Apostle Paul? It reads, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also, which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So I'm going to pause there again. Notice it calls this event the coming of the Lord. We understand that Jesus Christ came into the world some 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrated Christmas. He was born into the world, born of the virgin, came into the world to be the savior of the world and to be the sacrifice for us. Now, he did not, not exist before that. He always existed. We understand the Bible teaches in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is truly from everlasting. He's the creator of the world. We already preached that message before. We know the deity of Jesus Christ. But when he came into the world to become the savior of the world, that was his first coming into this world. There is going to be a day in which Jesus Christ comes back for us believers and for the saints that have put their faith in him. And this is known as the second coming. Hence the title of this message, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And make no bones about it. He is truly coming back. There are some people who have weird, twisted beliefs that Jesus Christ, there is no second coming, or it already happened. And you actually, if you would, turn to uh, Second Timothy 2. One little blind there. It seems like we're all going blind today. We can't read our hands. We can't, you know, are we need glasses now or something? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible reads, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. This is the Apostle Paul telling his, you know, predecessor Timothy, that there are people known as Hymenaeus and Philetus who go around saying that Jesus Christ, the resurrection has already occurred. It's already done. Don't let anyone tell you that he's not coming back. Jesus Christ truly is coming back for us. And he, the Bible shows us times in which we can understand this. And the Bible clearly emphasizes what's known as the rapture. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. The word rapture just means the second coming of Jesus. And notice what it said in 1 Thessalonians 4. If you would go back there, it said in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So is this coming 1, coming 1.5, or coming 2? This is obviously the second coming of the Lord that we are talking about. And it goes on to read, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the beginning of this passage was talking about people who have lost loved ones, people who brothers and sisters and, and parents have died in the faith. And he's saying, you don't need to be bummed out like they are. There is a time of grieving, obviously, when people have loved ones that die. It's natural to grieve the loss, but it's saying you don't need to grieve like the heathen do, because the heathen don't know whether they're ever going to see their loved ones ever again. As a matter of fact, they will. It's just not going to be in a place that is good. If they're not saved and they don't put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they may see their loved one. I take that back. The lake of fire or hell is also known as a dark place. You may hear them, but you may not see them. But nevertheless, we don't need to mourn like the heathen do. We can know and, and, and be comforted in knowing that when, God forbid, a loved one dies early in your life, if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see them again. At the second coming, they will, the dead in Christ or those who are asleep will come down from the sky with Jesus Christ and the angels, and then those who are alive in the end times, or what's known as the second coming, will be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is going to be something that is going to be a very exciting day, and I don't know about you, but I look forward 
to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But I will say this. Truly, the Bible says, no man knoweth the day or the hour of the second coming. I do not know for sure when he is coming, but the Bible does tell us a time period in which we can expect Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ to come. Now let's go into chapter 5. It says, but of the, season, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. So he just said about this second coming, this coming of the Lord. He says, I don't need to tell you about this. I don't even need to write this for you because you already know this is going to happen. Oh wait, David, didn't you just say no one knows? But you're get, we're going to see more as we read. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety and sudden destruction cometh upon them, has travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So I'm going to pause there. When it says, let us not sleep, it's not saying, don't die. It's saying, don't be watchful, be ready, listen. When we see signs around us in our lives, that point to what the Bible says about Jesus Christ's second coming, the Bible uses the term watch, not to only physically look at something, but in a sense to be aware. The Bible talks about in the Garden of Gethsemane, you couldn't watch for me for an hour. It's like, couldn't you just not only stay awake physically, but couldn't you be aware and pray with the Lord Jesus Christ at that time? Obviously, Peter and them were tired. The flesh was weak, but the spirit was willing. So we understand that the second coming of Jesus Christ is a moment in history. Jesus Christ will come in the cloud and we will all be saved and we will be given a new body. This, you know, in this mortal will put on immortality. Our flesh will be stripped away. It will be changed in a twinkling in a moment of an in, in, in a second. And basically we will be made perfect. We will no longer be with in sin because we'll be given a new body. So, the next question would naturally come, when? When does Jesus Christ come, right? Everyone wants to know when Jesus Christ has come. The Bible tells us around when he'll come. Jesus Christ said himself, while he was on the earth, he says, the son doesn't even know of the time of the second coming, but the father only. Now obviously, it's, I would venture to say I believe Jesus Christ now knows of his second coming, but at least when, we, when it, he was on this earth, and this was written down, at least at that time, didn't know. So turn to your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 24. And while you go to Matthew 24, I forgot to define that, that term, the rapture, but let me just show you in 1 Corinthians. I, 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 we all know what the word rapture means, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.50, it reads... Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. But I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must be must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass, saying that with that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So I was attempting to quote it a second ago, but that was the passage I was supposed to quote, and I, I messed it up a little, but we get the point. You know, our bodies will be changed, we'll be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and we will be with Him forever, and that way we can know that we are never going to sin ever again. But this question is asked of the disciples, when are you coming back, Jesus Christ? It's a fair question, right? It's a question that, as believers, we want to know. He promised us. He says, I come quickly, my reward is with me. One of the last thoughts given to us in the whole Bible 
is that he's coming quickly. And we live in what's known as the last days. Jesus Christ labeled the last days in his time while he was on this earth 2,000 years ago. And some would say, well, if that's the last days, 2,000 years went by, that must not have been the last days. But remember, the Bible also says that a day as to the Lord as a thousand years. And, and that if, you know, we, to us, may seem like a long period of history, to God doesn't seem that long. Because he lives outside of time. He created time. So from us and from where we sit, time may seem long. But God says, no, it's, it's short. And especially in the, the grand scheme of all of existence, if the earth is some 6,500 years, the last 2,000 years, you can see is like the last, the, the ending of it all. And where you are in Matthew 24, look down at verse 3. This is the disciples asking Jesus, and they said, He sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? It's a good question. When? Jesus is telling them about this. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive men. Let me pause there really quick. Jesus Christ is saying that towards the end, there will be a lot of people claiming to be Christ. At least, for sure, there will be a person that claims to be Jesus himself. And we're going to see that it, the adventures say there are many, many antichrists around. And someone who is an antichrist is not necessarily against Christ, but they're trying to put themselves in place of Christ. That's what that word means in the Bible. But then it goes on to say, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must be must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So let me ask you this. Hasn't there been a lot of world wars from uh, 2,000 years ago until now? And you know what? Every world war that happened, every person thought that this is it. Here comes Christ. And arguably so, that's not bad for them to think that. If you were a Christian at the time of World War I, and you read your Bible and saw that the world is at war, that's pretty natural to think, okay, maybe Jesus is coming. Of course there's more that you need to know, but it's not a... If, let's face the fact, if we were around back then, we'd probably think Jesus was coming soon. What about the Second World War that just happened? Same thing, the world's at war. There's a lot of problems going around in the planet. You may draw the conclusion and be like, okay, the second coming is happening, or is happening. But it, it obviously wasn't. Some arguably say that the next world war, World War III that will occur, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. I would believe that, personally. I do believe that the next world war, the next big war event that happens, is probably when Jesus Christ is coming back. Because that's what everyone thinks, because that's what the Bible says. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, and not only that, I will pause and say this. This wasn't in my notes, but in just hindsight looking at this, wars and rumors of wars. Don't we live in a day and an age when information is just spread all throughout the internet? Can't people say there's a war going on right now across the planet that isn't really happening? Don't we believe that if there is a war, there's a legitimate way to go over there and see all this warfare going on? But there will be rumors of war. There could be people who say there's a war right now in this country. You don't know that. Are you there? Can you fly over there, drive over there, see a physical war going down? Today, it actually is very possible that there are rumors of wars. So they're not real wars that are going down, but rather there are just people saying this to stir up a war. We understand the concept of the military industrial, uh, military industrial complex not going to go into that, but that's basically talking about the unholy sanction between business and war. When you're making weapons and guns and you have no one to sell to, guess what you're going to do? You're going to cause war. So obviously we believe in the principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this world trying to create conflict. But Jesus continues on and says more. He says, For nation shall rise against nation, a kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So that's something that may not have been able to have been said of World War I and II. 
was that all nations will hate you for Christ's name's sake. As a matter of fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't our nation more godly in World War I? Weren't more Americans Christian in nature? Even if they weren't truly saved, weren't most of the people of America at least God-fearing and more into that? Now, as the world progressed, America became less and less a godly nation. But nevertheless, it started that way. So we're not at the point as of even right now where we're being persecuted for our faith. It's coming. No, make no bones about that. It will happen. But as of right now, we're not being killed for our faith. We're not being persecuted, hindered from living and making money and running our families. They are in other countries. In other countries, if you are a Christian, a Muslim country, if you are a Christian, they may let you exist, they may let you stay there, but they will truly persecute you. They may kill you, they may prevent you from making money, and all sorts of real persecution that will occur, as it has even in the early church. But it goes on to say, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall be hate, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the, er, and then shall the end come. I'll pause again right here. I'm kind of going through this chapter because this is a very clear chapter in the Bible that lays out chains of events that will occur for right before Jesus Christ's second coming. It's also paralleled in Mark 13, Luke 21. We're not going to go to there for sake of time. And basically what I'm trying to do is preach expositorily. There's topical sermons, which I am preaching on a topic, the second coming. But we're going to break down what Jesus says in Matthew 24. And not only that, we broke down what it said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 4. But notice it says, There will be many false prophets and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Do we not think that the world is getting worse and worse today? Do you not believe that people are waxing colder and colder? The Bible says elsewhere that people will become lovers of themselves, and that you know people are going to get worse, more sinful in nature. Do we not think that that's happening in our life? I believe. So I believe that the world is degressing. It's not improving. See, the world thinks we're improving through technology, through acceptance of homosexuality, through acceptance of all sorts of like, oh, we're ecumenical. All religions can come together and unite on this friend. That's what the Bible is saying. There will be false prophets that will arise, say things which they ought not ultimately for filthy lucre. When the Bible talks about when they say peace, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, not upon us. We know that when the world's at peace, that that's when Jesus Christ is probably soon coming thereafter. Because when the world's at war, they're at war to create unity. And this thought goes all the way back into the Bible, even at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel talks about the world at that time they all united together. God told them to separate and to replenish the earth. But they decided to stay together. And what did they do? They built a tower unto heaven. They're trying to get to heaven on their own. They're trying to say, look at us. We are all united. We have one language. We can all put away our differences and not do what God says and replenish the earth. But rather, we'll get there ourselves. This has always been the agenda of mankind. Gain enlightenment, gain eternal life, gain godhood, divinity through their own works, their own merit. The Bible says of the serpent to Eve, he says, you will not die, but you will be as God. Mankind is trying to become God themselves, or they're trying to get to heaven on their own. The Bible never teaches that you can let alone be God, because that's only for him but that you cannot ever get to heaven on your own good marriage. Rather, we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And when people say peace, peace, no, sudden destruction will come upon them, not upon us. Peace for us. You know, truly, we can know that Jesus Christ is coming soon, but there's more to it. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Endure what? Endure 
what's known as the Great Tribulation. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Pray ye your flight, be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath, for then shall be great tribulation. So it was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor now ever shall be. A lot was just unfolded there. But let me just kind of simplify it for you like this. Because on the subject of the second coming of Jesus Christ, we could preach series upon series. There's so much detail to know. There's so much. Like I said, I could crack this Bible open and flip it anywhere. You could probably find a passage that refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Or oh, it's also known as the day of the Lord. A lot of the times in the Old Testament, we hear the term the day of the Lord. In Jeremiah's day, he says, the day of the Lord. And in all the prophets, they keep talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And we as Bible-believing Christians, and especially New Testament Christians, we understand what's known as dual fulfillment of prophecy. Now, when holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost, they're not just only talking to their immediate people group in front of them, though that is their primary target. They're also speaking to a broader audience, not only to the future, but to even us right now, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who read his word. When they set, talk about the day of the Lord, they're talking about either a current judgment that is going to happen to them right then and there, the first coming of Jesus Christ, or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Whenever that phrase is mentioned, the day of the Lord, you've got to read it in its context. A lot of the days of the Lord in the Old Testament are mentioning things that have already happened to Israel, to people groups, and so on and so forth. Because if the day of the Lord is at hand, you will be judged. God will destroy this people and destroy this nation. That already happened. But not only that, they talk about the day of the Lord's at hand, meaning Jesus Christ will come. A lot of the times we see in the Bible, I know it says Messiah's coming, you know, referring to the woman at the well. Where did they get this? They read the Old Testament and they talked about the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come in his temple, as it says in Malachi. So there's a future day of the Lord to Old Testament prophets referring to Jesus Christ's first coming. But the New Testament talks about another day of the Lord that's coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And notice what it says. It says, when ye, in verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, Whoso readeth, let him understand. This, and like I said, I can't go deep into Daniel's 70th week. This is ultimately a prophetic time period that refers to the end times, uh, the second coming, the tribulation, the wrath, and all this stuff. And let me just make it very clear, when we stand at Church Foundation Baptist Church Hawaii, we believe that Jesus Christ will come, Jesus Christ will come after the tribulation. Why do we believe that? Well, number one, it clearly says that, and we're going to see that in a moment. And not only that, we can compare Scripture and Scripture and see that's what the, constantly the Bible is talking about for the second coming of the Lord. And like I said, I can't... Actually, turn if you would to Daniel 12. Referring back to that uh, dual and quadruple fulfillment of prophecies like I was talking about, here's a good example of what I was talking about. Notice what it says in verse 8. Daniel 12, verse 8. It's the last of the major prophets. It says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Wasn't that the question that the disciples asked Christ himself? Now he's speaking with an angel. And it says, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed from the time of the end. Then he shall be purified. And made, and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. 
Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So, like I said, I'm not going to go deep into Daniel's 70th week prophetic calendar. But understand this. It says, Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. The Bible talks about a seven-year period in which there will be tribulation, but at the midpoint of that week is when the rapture happens, when the second coming of Jesus Christ comes. After that, it's what's known as the wrath of God. And there is a people group that believe in what's known as a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, this message is not to preach against them, though we do believe they are wrong. And we do believe it is very clearly that they are wrong. That this is also what's known as the imminent rapture, that Christ can come at any moment. Because no man knows the day or the hour. He can come right now, five seconds from now, five days from now. But they don't realize there has to be fulfilling of prophecy first. And with that being said, these people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, one of the major mistakes they make is that they equate the whole seven years of Daniel's prophetic calendar as the tribulation. All of it. They're not separating God's wrath from the tribulation. Because the tribulation just simply means trouble or, or like uh, problems that will happen to us Christians. And if you do a, a word study on the word tribulation, you'll find that most times in the Bible when, the, when someone's being in tribulation, it's referring to Christians. They are going through trouble. You know, Jesus Christ says of us that we are promised to be going through tribulation. He says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a, uh, a synonym for tribulation. You'll be persecuted. But they take that whole entire seven-year period and call that a whole thing the tribulation. It's not true. And we know that because Revelation shines more light on the matter. Bible talks in Daniel and in the Old Testament that we didn't understand a lot of the doctrine. We didn't understand a lot of the depths of, you know, the Trinity, for instance, end times prophecy. I mean, Daniel is a good book to study if you do want to know the second coming, if you do want to know about what's eschatology. That's just the fancy way of saying studies of the end times. And I do suggest you take Daniel and sit down and dissect it and find Conan and really read and study because what did Jesus say back in Matthew 24 it says when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place whoso readeth let him understand you need to truly read your Bible and know more of what this is saying but what's funny is Daniel 12 is the last chapter of Daniel turn if you would to Revelation 22 that same question is brought up to the apostle John himself John the beloved the one who leaned on Jesus' breast, he goes and has the same question brought to him. And look what it says. And what's really cool is when I was writing this message, I found that it's the same verses. You know how 316s are actually good verses throughout the whole Bible? John 316, 1 Timothy 316. 316s seem to be really popular passages. They're really good passages. But Daniel 12, um, 8 through 13 is very similar to Revelation 22, verses 8 through uh, 10. And it says, and I, John, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Daniel was speaking to an angel. John is speaking to an angel. And saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, and these are red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, these are now the words of Jesus. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his word shall be, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So like I was saying, it was not necessarily clear for Daniel and the Old Testament saints to know the second coming of the Lord. With enough search and diligence, I'm sure they could have 
figured it out or looked more into it, but they didn't even, they were looking for the first coming. They were first looking for Christ to come and begin with. And unfortunately, that's why a lot of the Jewish people didn't believe him to be the Messiah because they thought he was bringing in a physical kingdom and he was going to save them from Roman persecution, which was never the intent. The intent was always to come and to be the savior of the world, to die for sins. But nevertheless, it talks a lot about the abomination of desolation. To not go too deep, like I said, into the subject. Simply, the abomination of desolation is when one day they will build the temple again. In Israel, in Jerusalem, they're going to try to bring back the sacrifices. We all understand that one day the Bible teaches there will be a one world government. That there will be a one world religion. That there will be a one world currency. Like I said, I can't dissect and show you every part. Because I only have so much time to preach. But uh, Faithful Word Baptist Church came out with the Revelation series. And if you have time, look at the Revelation series. It goes chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But when the world comes together and thinks that there is peace on this earth, they will appoint one man, ruler of this earth, which they all will think and believe is the second coming of Jesus Christ or a savior figure in some way, shape, or form. Every religion on the planet right now is looking for a messianic figure. The Muslims are, the Jews are looking for their first messiah because they don't believe Jesus Christ was the messiah. Evangelical, fake Christians think that that will be his second coming. And the Bible teaches if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. So this man, whoever he is, whatever he is, and some think he's Satan incarnated and Whatever the case may be, it's going to be so believable that most people in the world will believe in him, and he may even almost deceive the very elect saved. He won't, because when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand, you hear the voice of the shepherd, and you will not be deceived. But you will become public enemy, number one. The world will be after you, because this antichrist, this fake messiah, is going to make everyone worship him. Oh, everything's so great. Everything's so peaceful. Oh, here's the catch, though. You don't worship me, I'm going to kill you. So obviously, there is this time period of tribulation. And that is what I want you to know is not to be worried about. Jesus Christ says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm not going to say it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be fun. As a matter of fact, it says, go back there in just a moment, that it's going to be a time of trouble and very scary time. But the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist will be exalted. Everyone will profess him to be the Messiah. He's going to put war to the saints, and he's going to try to kill off real Christians. There also is going to be what's known as a great falling away. And I stand here personally believe that we are living in the last days. And I'm not saying the last days as in what the, the apostles thought. I'm saying like very soon, I believe, Jesus Christ could very well come in my lifetime, in your lifetime, in our children's lifetime. I think I'll be more of an old man, something sooner, something later. But nevertheless, if we read our Bibles enough and we constantly see compare scripture with scripture and current events, it's not far-fetched to think that Jesus Christ could come very soon. As a matter of fact, I believe it's coming very soon to a theater near you. But we don't need to worry about it. What, what is there to be afraid of? And this is something I've been talking about on this subject, which is kind of interesting. That if truly Jesus Christ comes in our lifetime, we are the saints of Revelation. Do you not understand that? When the Antichrist makes war with the saints and kills Christians for their faith, and then, as a matter of fact, turn if you to Revelation 6. There's a famous quote that is said of the saints in heaven that we all know. And if it is in our lifetime, if some of us don't endure to the end, to the second coming, we actually would fall under this group. And look at Revelation 6, verse 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Lord, or how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood of them that dwell on the earth? If you can imagine and understand that if he comes in our life, 
and some of us get killed for the cause of Christ, that is us saying this. You are actually potentially living true Bible prophecy. Like I said, assuming it happens in our life. Nevertheless, we don't need to, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, be as the heathen are and worry about that. Because we are overconquering the world in that sense. But when this event happens, the tribulation, let's turn back to Matthew 4. There's a, there's a specific visual thing we can look at to know that it's, it's at hand. It is in front of us. And it tells us in Matthew 24. Let's keep reading. In a verse 24, it says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs of wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, shineth even of the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and his angels shall send, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. So this is the ending. It goes into a parable after that, but I'm not going to read it for sake of time. It's basically this. In the chains of event that will occur, there's going to be a great falling away. People will less and less believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, less and less be Christian, and less and less... There's going to be just a great falling away of Christianity. And like I said, from World War I to World War II, guess what? There's less Christians in the planet. There are less people who are professingly Christians. There was a, a Pew study not that long ago, I think it was in the beginning of 2018. There are more, I think, non-atheists uh, uh, now than there are people who believe in faith, whether it be Christianity or not. And there, and there are less, we're less Christian today than we were yesterday as a planet. More people are becoming less Christian. But in the end, we're not gonna stop soul winning. We're not going to give in when this great tribulation happens. How do I know this? The Bible says in Daniel, back to that prophecy of the end, it talks about that they that know their God will do great exploits. This is just, exploits is like doing good. You're going to go give the gospel more. Because if we see the day at hand approaching, these wars, this, this temple being built, the Antichrist rising to power, you know what that's going to make me do? That's going to make me go out so many more. Because I know that if I look up that soon, my redemption will draw nigh. And this is the go time to get as many people to believe as you can. For those who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, if you don't know what it is, it's all parts of the speech. Pre means before, trib, tribulation, rapture. Notice what it said in Matthew, it says immediately after the tribulation of those days will these things happen, or the rapture happen. But there are people who believe in this even in rapture, let's assume like they genuinely believe that. They genuinely think Christ can come at any moment. Then why are they not spending every second of every day assuming he can come at any moment? Because if I knew, if I believed that Christ can come at any moment, you think I'd be at my secular job working? If Christ could come right now, five seconds from now, I would just go run over to those kids and give them the gospel. Because you guys are saved. You guys are Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you guys I want to go out and do great exploits because that is what we are here to do. The great commission given to us is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is why when it talks about a Daniel, they will do great exploits is because no one else is doing it and we understand what is happening. We looked up, our redemption is drawing nigh. This is what it means to watch, to stay aware understand what's happening around us. And like I said, I'm not coming down on pre-tribulation believers. 
Because let me say this, there was a time in my life where I believed in the pre-tribulation rapture. I could probably venture to guess a lot of you probably believe in the pre-tribulation rapture for probably a long time. You know, it wasn't but not, not that long ago when Faithful Word Baptist Church came out with a documentary called After the Tribulation, did this subject illuminate a lot of people. I remember you, Brother Isaac, telling me that you always believed in the post-tribulation rapture. So when this documentary came out, you were very excited because you're like, hey, I'm not the only one that believes what the Bible clearly talks about. And notice, it's very clear. I don't have enough time to go through a series of every chain of event that happens. I think 99% of us understand here today that Jesus Christ comes after the tribulation. I think I'm preaching to the choir in that sense. I think a lot of you may have clocked out mentally in your mind when I brought up the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because like I said, this is a doctrine that we stand very strong on and we strongly believe. In the back of our uh, invitations that we give to people has the documentary after the tribulation. But this is a secondary doctrine. It is important. It is essential. I believe God wants us to know of his coming as it said in 1 Thessalonians 5. But at the time and season, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Because we know when we study our Bible, when we see the things around us, when it will really happen. But nevertheless, let me end on this thought. If you do understand, and you believe what the Bible says in the post-tribulation rapture, and someone gets saved, and they have never heard this, we shouldn't have beef with them. What, what... There are so many people who are getting illuminated in this thought of when Christ will come. Who are true, genuine, saved believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, King James only, so many Baptist churches, people, pastors, and people who understand the fundamentals of the faith. But we're a little mixed up when Christ will come. I have no beef with that person, and neither should any one of us. We can be as iron sharpening iron and show them these things, but if they don't want to accept it, that's, they don't have to accept it to be saved, obviously. We would think they're wrong. We'd believe that they're wrong. But they're my brother and sister in Christ. There are some brothers and sisters who are a lot spiritually older. There are a lot more brothers and sisters who do more study. There are Christians who do nothing for the cause. They don't even read their Bible. They don't even step foot into a church. They're truly saved. They're derelicts on the side of the road. And God's chasing them for their bad lifestyle. But they're saved. And with that being said, I don't think it is wise of us to be bad-mouthing brothers and sisters who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I bad-mouth the doctrine, I bad-mouth the thought of the pre-tribulation rapture, but if a brother's in front of me telling me that's what they believe, and I show them this, and they're like, yeah, I think you're wrong, or you're misunderstanding, I'm like, hey, no worries, God bless you if you're saved and you're, you're on your way to heaven. And, I, and like I said, I don't want... We don't disfellowship with them. Unfortunately, pre-trip believers, I'm not talking like evangelicals and fake Christians. I'm talking about real believers who do believe in the pre-trip. I don't have beef with them. I don't want them to think I have beef with them. But for some reason, they have beef with us. And it, is it because they're mad at me? Or is it because they're mad at, it says clearly, immediately after the tribulation? And that's truly what they're mad at. Because they've been duped their whole life, a lot of their life. In general, no one wants to admit when they're wrong. I have a saying that my wife and I know a lot. People hate being pro. People hate admitting when they're wrong. But you know what the Bible, like I've preached time and time again, says a wise man seeks to be corrected and a fool despises reproach. You can be saved and be a fool, but nevertheless, I don't have beef with you. Bless your soul that you, know, you, you at least understand salvation. And, and, you know, I wouldn't necessarily even question someone's salvation if they believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because a lot of people have been duped by this. And like I said, the, the subject of a secondary doctrine, what we're most known for at Sure Foundation of secondary doctrine would be the second coming of Christ or when the tribulation occurs. Zionism, where we don't, we, we believe in replacement theology. We do not think there is a current covenant going on between God and the nation of Israel but that we, the church, replaced the nation of Israel. We strongly believe in that. And there are other secondary doctrines. But if a believer who truly gets saved does not accept the church's secondary doctrine, 
you know, hopefully in time, as they hear more preaching, as they read the Bible more, they'll come to that on their own. If they never completely just realize that they're wrong in the matter, we still don't want to meet with them because we don't want to hinder the work of God. As long as they're going to... Do we hit the door and talk like Jehovah's Witness and say, hey, did you notice that Christ is coming soon? And, you know, did you notice the things around us and that you got to realize that, you know, Jesus is on his way here? That's what Jehovah's Witness do when they hit the door, when they do their proselytizing. They're trying to get you to understand Jesus can come soon. I'm not trying to get you to realize Jesus can come soon. I want you to realize he gets saved. Put your faith in Christ. You can never mention the second coming at the door to get someone saved. But it is important for us to know. And like I said, this is something to me that I think is important because we're known not only here at Church Foundation Baptist, but in our movement of being very rude, mean people because you don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, you don't believe in Zionism or whatever. It, I don't, at least with me, want it to be said that I'm rude to someone who believes wrong on a secondary doctrine. It is important. I will never sway on the concept of what the Bible truly says. And neither should any one of you. But I'm just saying, if a Christian is going to badmouth you, rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. But we shouldn't badmouth them. Oh, you're stupid. You think Christ can come at any moment? Let me show you 20 verses that shows how dumb you are. No, rather, let's be edifying and loving towards and, 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 and quick to mercy with them in this matter. But like I said, Brother Ryan preached a message in the beginning of our uh, the origin of this church just on fundamentals. I didn't hear a message on the true relation, so that's why I brought it up. And I think everyone already knows that. But I just want you to know that if a, if a new convert comes into the church, a truly saved believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they just, they believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, let's not try to belittle them for what they believe in. Well, let's hopefully sway them to what the Bible truly says. But let's be more on the loving side of preaching doctrines that are important but are not salvation worthy. And with that, let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for salvation. Thank you so much for showing us clearly around the time when you'll be coming back. We just want you to always get honor and praise and help us to just stay humble and to be uh, meek to those who don't maybe understand this truth and to just be willing to uh, shine your light in your word. In Jesus Christ, name we pray. Amen.